Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Rhiannon McKinnon. Rhiannon is the CEO of Kiwi Wealth, the largest New Zealand-owned KiwiSaver provider. She's originally from the UK, and she started her career in the financial services sector with Casanova and Morgan Stanley. Since moving to New Zealand 14 years ago, she's held roles with New Zealand Post and also Kiwi Bank, and has worked across strategy, corporate finance, and investor relations. She's also a working mum of three young children, and is keen to keep smashing the glass ceiling and inspiring others in her career. Kia ora, Rhiannon, and thank you very much for joining me today. Kia ora, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So the first question, and I know when we spoke briefly before we got going, you said some of these have made you think a little bit, and this one probably particularly did. So I'd love to hear from when you were a child or even a teenager, what careers did you dream about or even aspire to? Yes, and this was indeed one I did start thinking about quite hard. Casting my mind back, I actually did spend a lot of time going to kind of career services information back when I was a teenager. They had a sort of careers advisor at my school, but I even went to the the local careers advice service downtown in Watford, where I'm from, and went down and went through all the files and the box files and took home sheets of paper about things that one could do with one's life. So I kind of toyed with a few different ideas, but I don't think anything really jumped off those pages. I think it's really hard when you're that age to really imagine what these jobs entail and these sort of one-page descriptions of what what people do is uh, is really hard to get your head around in, in sort of real life. But my brother told me about the city, as it were, and the city of London, which is where a lot of financial careers take place. And I thought that sounded pretty interesting. To be really honest, it also sounded quite well paid. And that was something I was quite interested in as a teenager. I was always wanting to buy more whole lipsticks and CDs and shoes. And so I thought that sounded interesting. So I veered towards that. I was reasonably good at numbers and that sort of thing. So I thought that might be a direction that I headed in. So yeah, I ended up going up in that direction in the end. Fantastic. And so tell me about your your first job or jobs. What did you love about it or what did you learn from that? So my very first job, I think, was when I just turned 16. I you know, was given an allowance when I was 13 onwards, which was given to me like every quarter and I had to look after it kind of quite carefully and, and buy my own clothes and so forth. So I was always keen. The minute that I got my national insurance number, I was out there applying for work and trying to get my first job and really boost my income and so forth. So my first job that I managed to persuade someone to employ me was at a, a shop called CNA, which was a very sort of popular sort of department-ish type store in the UK. And I had a Christmas sort of temp role. And from there, I actually had a sort of a series of jobs in, in retail that I used to do at the weekends. And that was great. I mean, you learn the obvious things around how to get there on time and how to listen to somebody else and do what you're told. But, you know, I, I think it was the first time you just start meeting people from all walks of life. And I've been reflecting about that and about careers. And you all start somewhere and you start in your family kind of bubble and then you're in your school bubble. But the more you go out into the workforce, the more you just meet people from all walks of life and it started there at CNA and onwards. Yeah, wonderful. I would agree if I think about my sort of first 
jobs. Absolutely. You met all sorts of different people that, as you said, weren't in maybe your bubble. It was a great way to start expanding your world a bit more. Fantastic. Mm. And then, as you said, you you then pursued a career and, and had a go in the city of London. And so tell me a little bit about what were some of the highlights, but maybe also some of the challenges of those first few years of your career. Sure. The highlights were, I mean, it was obviously, I I started on a graduate program. So I had, I think maybe 12 people on the program with me. So you make a lot of great friends when you start on those sorts of schemes. You're all starting together. You're pretty fresh raced out of university. And so you've got a lot of camaraderie that way. And at Casanova, which is a pretty small city firm and very old fashioned, it was a stockbroker to the Queen. And a, a lot of people from some very rarefied backgrounds worked at Casanova, actually. And there's someone like me who was female, actually, in the, the first start, but also hadn't been to one of those extremely old fashioned public schools. It was actually a, a, still a bit of a novelty there, to be honest. But because it was quite a small firm versus other ones, you got to meet some really interesting people, especially the external clients. They had relationships with I think almost half of the FTSE 250 in terms of being their corporate broker, which is a very odd role that you have to have someone who kind of is your official kind of liaison between you and, and the stock market. And Kaz and I have had an enormous number of those relationships. And as a result, I, I met the sort of the CEO and CFOs of, of quite a lot of FTSE companies very early on in my career. And that was you know, quite exciting and exposed you to some really interesting people very young. Other highlights, actually, when I think about it, I had a great business trip to Las Vegas when I was about 23, 24. And I remember waking up and having missed a plane to New York, actually having gone out far too late and having a, a really, really good time. Lowlights probably along the lines of, well, first of all, I had to be in the office at 7am every single morning without fail. So that was pretty brutal. But actually, I think the second job that I took, actually the one at Morgan Stanley, wasn't wasn't a great move for me. I'd been a bit of a golden girl, I think, at the first job and got to do what I wanted and, and I had a really great time. And I went from there to Morgan Stanley, which was, I don't know how many times bigger, at least five times bigger. And it was a, a real shock to the system that I was having to work. Well, everyone was working a lot harder than I did, which quite frankly meant they had much better results than I did. And that was a big shock to the system that I actually had to pull my bootstraps up and work a lot harder. And I found it quite a quite a jolt, quite a jolt. How interesting. And interesting to see that different size and scale of firm, you know, the first being able to get that wonderful exposure, the second actually that challenge of, well, there's a lot of people around me and there's different norms and, and ways of working in it and potentially in a larger firm as well. Yeah, fascinating. And then what then brought you up to New Zealand? So, I mean, the the very simple answer is it was for love. Between the two jobs, the Casanova Morgan Stanley one, I had about a month off. They call it gardening leave. And I had travelled around Asia and I went to Beijing for a few days and had been put in touch by an old university friend with Alex, who is now my husband. I thought he was rather nice at the time, but was off to start a new job in London at Morgan Stanley and had never really held down a relationship across the river. So I didn't think London, Beijing was going to work very successfully. But he stayed on my mind. We met up again about a year later and eventually... And the other thing was quite inspiring about him, I'm sorry I had to say my husband's inspiring on this, is that he could speak Chinese and I'm actually half Chinese and I'd never learned it as a child. My mum never spoke it to me and I tried a couple of times to learn it as an adult and I'd got nowhere with it. So it's a really tricky language to learn, but he was speaking it and I thought, wow, if, if this guy can, can learn to speak it, so can I. And that was actually a bit of an inspiration to go out to China and live there for a year and, and try and learn Chinese, which is, is, is what I did. 
did. And that's where it was about a year and a half after I joined Morgan Stanley, I left Morgan Stanley. And that's where our relationship flourished. And at the end of a year, I said, right, we'll move back to London. Obviously, you're a Kiwi and you've never lived in London. And obviously, all Kiwis like to do that at some point in their lives. And he said no. He said that he wanted to move to Christchurch. And that's where we went. Ah, fantastic. Well, it's my home city, but I think we would have crossed paths in a different way. So I spent 17 years in London, actually. But how interesting and how interesting to see that, as you said, if he was able to learn Mandarin, then actually that gave you the inspiration. But also it's quite a brave move to learn a whole new language as an adult, particularly the one that also came from your from your mum's background, too. Oh, yeah. And I'm not much of a linguist. I can tell you that. My mum turned up in Beijing after about, I don't know, it had been there probably two months And I was speaking my, I don't know how many phrases I had by then, but a few. And I'll never forget my mum telling me that my third tone, because Chinese is tonal, sounded like a foreigner. And I thought, well, that's quite right too, because I'm having to learn it as a foreigner. And anyway, (laughs) mum's always been direct in her feedback. (laughs) Probably a useful skill to have is being direct in feedback. That probably can help a lot of people along the way. Then tell me then a bit about your career since you being in in New Zealand and then then your path now into into the Kiwi Wealth role. So I started at a company called Murray and Company, which is an investment banking sort of boutique firm based in Christchurch. And I spent three years there. So got to know, it was a bit of a jump, actually. I was in an equity research role. Um, it was all part of sort of finance and banking, but I went to more corporate finance, which is you know, slightly different. It was actually more different than I expected it to be. I thought the sort of jumps between these sort of sub-sectors of the investment banking world would be um, pretty easy, but it was more of a jump than I had realised. And I spent about three years there and Ultimately, I think Christchurch was an absolutely wonderful town to live in, but I think we wanted to be slightly closer to his family in Wellington. You're getting to the stage where you're probably considering about when you're going to have children and being close to family certainly helps. And investment banking is really hard to do if you're juggling a family as well. If you're in any of those sort of sell-side careers where you're selling your services to clients, I think that's a very hard juggle and I could kind of foresee that coming. So we did move up to Wellington. I cast my net quite wide. I spoke to quite a few different people across financial services. And actually talking about family members influencing, I actually was talking to Alex's uncle and he suggested that I talk to some of the people he knew at New Zealand Post and that being inside a corporate might be a really interesting kind of career move and something that would be enlightening. So I ended up starting in the finance division there and started in investor relations, which sort of was about telling the New Zealand Post and the Kiwi Bank story to the market and to the credit rating agencies and to to treasury and government. And that expanded quite quickly into a broader corporate finance role, looking after various financial assets of, of New Zealand Post. And I did that for a few years, had my first baby and then my second baby. My career is really punctuated by babies in Wellington, to be honest. And I always sort of date things, sort of pregnancies and births, which is maybe a bit odd, but also might be very familiar to others out there. Left post and started after my second baby was about nine months old. I went back to Kiwi Bank, which I knew the guys there really well from my post days and having done a lot of work for the bank and ended up being a sort of an exec advisor to the CEO for a while. So that was my first sort of stint in a CEO's office. And I was quite keen to do that. I'd, I'd kind of worked out by that point that I didn't want to stay in a finance niche my whole career. And one of the, I've got very few career goals, but one of them was, was that in the future, if people asked me where I came from, they'd be surprised to know what my original niche was. So I really did want to go slightly more generalist, I think, is what I was trying to do by that point. 
I did that quite briefly and that was quite deliberate and then ended up doing a, a contract for the Kiwi Wealth CEO, my predecessor, around strategy and, and where they should go next. Went off to have baby number three and then came back on, on the other side of that sort of into a permanent role, which was nice, just three days a week and a sort of strategy role, which expanded to four days after about a year when my eldest went to school and then has gone to five days since since this sort of change of role to acting CEO. Yeah, wonderful and great to hear actually that shift in career, as you say, maybe more from the sell side through to being more in-house or within a corporate has actually mm. enabled you to to also gather a whole different range of skills at the same time. Yeah, it really has actually. And comparing careers, say, in London versus New Zealand, and I do think you have to approach them a bit differently, being a bit of a drack of all trades is actually something I think makes a lot more sense in New Zealand and being more generalist and open to doing a, a wider range of things. You don't have the same number of people and so the same possible niches than you might do in London. But actually, I think that makes it really interesting. I've, I see people in, in different careers in somewhat of a gilded cage where they're doing something that they know extremely well. They get paid maybe a lot of money for it, but they're actually a little bit bored with the subject matter and would like to do something else, but they don't quite know how because they're, they're, they're really known for one thing only. Mm, I agree when they've gone kind of very deep and narrow in their careers and then it's difficult to see a path out mm. because that's your absolutely your specialism. Whereas, as you say, absolutely, I think in New Zealand, I've seen that too. We're, we're very much, it's very helpful to be more of a generalist. But I guess it's also very helpful to have a broad range of skills and in coming into a CEO role. I know you've only been in for a couple of months now. What have been your reflections since you've um, since you've taken on the role of CEO? What have been my reflections? I think I've spent the first couple of months almost transiting from my previous role into this one. Obviously, I've tried to be CEO straight away and I, I was advised not to try and do my old job as well as the new one. It's really, really fascinating being at the very top so you get to see absolutely everything that's going on and you realise that beforehand you only see what's happening in your own area. So seeing everything is, you know, from that sort of looking down, I, I have found fascinating. And, you know, I get to sort of to try out a whole bunch of ideas that I had in, in the strategy space and I don't know if they're all going to work, but, you know, there's there's an enormous amount of autonomy that I get that comes with a role that I think is exciting. I think the thing that is the most interesting is really working with a whole range of people around the business and trying to motivate them and, and get them all going in the same direction. And I like the way you talk about so many of those different aspects of, of being a CEO, as you say, the autonomy or the ability to be able to influence and make some change, gathering that perspective and having that role of really trying to develop, motivate people as well and, and, and have a clear direction. Lots of different elements of it. What would you say you really love about your current work? I love that it's, it's interesting every day, absolutely every day. And you're, you're covering all sorts of different subject matter and you're jumping around. So I think that's that's really interesting. I, and I am a people person, so I do love working with people. And then as you look back, what would you say have been some of your perhaps toughest career challenges or, or moments to date? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think there've been moments in my career where I've just been in the wrong spot. And, and when you're in the wrong spot, that translates to being super miserable. I've had times in my career where I've, I've honestly just cried almost every day on the way to work and felt fit, quite physically sick at the stress of the job. I remember having to go for massages and they could feel it in the back of my neck and they could tell that I do things like jut out my jaw when I'm stressed and I'm thinking and they could even see that in my muscles, which is a bit disturbing and not very attractive. 
And I think in those moments, and I've been thinking about what sort of advice this is, but I've often thought you want to get on top of things and you want to kind of achieve and succeed. But actually, some of my advice and what I've done in those times is I've actually quit, which sounds um, like terrible advice. But sometimes they just jobs don't fit and whatever you do especially if you're like me and trying to conquer it before I leave it it just doesn't work and I've ended up in other jobs afterwards with these sorts of things that have fit really well that have fit like a glove where people you just kind of fit in and things work and things run smoothly and do you think that some jobs are just not worth hacking away at forever so yeah there have been miserable times and where I felt overwhelmed. And I'm saying that I quit every time that things get tough, but there are moments when that is the right option. And I think it is important advice because I think so often we're kind of encouraged to be resilient and persistent and to keep going and just work a bit harder and it'll be all right. And sometimes, yes, there may be tough times. Often when you start a new job, I think it's usually pretty tough, certainly that first three, six months, and it will get better. But I think if it's still feeling really hard a couple of years in, then as you say, have a look and say, well, is it is there something you can change about it? Or is it maybe just not a good fit in terms of the role or the organisation and to make the, the decision then to, to do something different as a result? I think that's really, really great advice. And thank you too for sharing that. We do go through tough patches. I've had times when absolutely when I've been in tears a fair bit in a certain role. And although others at work might not know about that, I think it's, I guess, to for other people to know that that's, that's normal, that it happens. It does, it does. And yeah, I'm the sort of person who actually, I cry at work from time to time. I haven't actually since I became CEO, for the record. But gosh, I can do it all the time. And I've had people cry in front of me since I've become CEO and feel terrible. And I've always said to them, don't worry about it. I do it all the time. And so, you know, it's not that I want to, but it's, I think it's a very natural thing to do in some situations. Mm, and I think that emotion coming out, it's usually just a sign that something's important, that you care about something. So as you say, yes. making it more okay for other people to show that they care is probably only going to be only going to be a good thing. And I was interested, you talked very briefly, say, about Casanova when you first started, that being being one of few women when you joined. But you know, the title for this podcast is The Female Career. I was wondering, have there been any particular obstacles, challenges, barriers that you might have faced as a woman in your career? So, yeah, I did think about Casanova and about around that kind of obstacles and challenges. And certainly it was a very, very old school place sort of place that they'd only just let women wear trousers in the organisation when I joined. And so it was very traditional. I think back to some of the comments that were made in the workplace and you just absolutely wouldn't get away with them now. But rightly or wrongly, I think I, I wasn't too phased by them at the time. I think I was so junior in my career that I didn't see them as something that was that presented much of a glass ceiling at that stage. And I think I probably laughed it off and maybe even tried to play it to my advantage. I'm not sure whether that was a good or a bad thing, but it was how I got through. And it was the time we lived in. It was sort of the early noughties and the comments that were made were wouldn't roll these days. I think in terms of actual obstacles since then, I think the biggest challenge actually is motherhood. You know, it starts really early when I first was interviewing for jobs in New Zealand. I remember talking to someone on the phone from Beijing who asked me how old I was and when I was planning to have children, which I found pretty shocking. Alex was just my boyfriend at the time. And the fact that I was being asked my parenthood plans over the phone, I, well, I didn't further the, the interview or the, the, the chats with that particular person. I didn't think that was going to be the place for me. But I think there is, I don't know whether it's a penalty, but it is it is hard when you have been um, working all your life where you do step out for different periods of time. And for each mother, it's different how long they want to stay out of the workforce for, whether it's um, a short period of parental leave or something much longer. 
it is a balance and it's a juggle and it's and I, you still don't see men having to do it to the same extent I, I have friends who do divide it equally but it is funny that I think in your early 30s when you're just really getting somewhere in your career and I think broad broad sweeping generalization I think women work really hard on their careers in their 20s and I think a lot of men are really just relaxing just as it gets interesting and it gets to matter, that's when the women step out for periods of time and the men start to really put their foot on the accelerator. And I think that's when the disparities in careers begin to happen. I think you're right. As you say, it's not the same for everybody, but I think for very many women, that is probably their experience. And you've got three quite still quite young kids now. How you talked briefly there about the juggle or the balance. How do you find some kind of balance in doing a big role and with a busy life outside? Yeah, they are quite young. They, I, I think actually the balance is, I think children actually help bring balance to my job to a certain extent. Each morning when I hang out with them and in the morning and at the very moment where they wake up, they're quite charming most of the time. And then, you know, then I have to battle to get them out the door into school on time and get to work. But those moments actually remind you why you're actually bothering with any of this and gives you a really good perspective that you take into each day. So I find them actually quite, quite a good, and, and they force me to unplug at the weekend and in the evenings. The best moments are when you actually put down your phone and you actually just have to be with them and you're not checking your phone because you're just doing something with them. And that's actually some of the nicest times. The juggle is real and it's even more real now for me. Before when I was four days, I had Fridays in my back pocket to catch up with things and spend time with the kids. And that was really lovely. And, and I, I don't have that luxury anymore. I spend a lot of time managing my diary and I actually am lucky enough now I have an EA, which is just delicious and wonderful. And that's definitely a career goal. I'm joking, but, but it's still like I look at my diary constantly about how to, you know, what I'm doing that day and how to spend time and on, on both things and, and what time I'm spending with the children and, and so forth. Mm, and did I even um, answer the question <laughs> you, you did you, you definitely did and I think it is an important one I think of actually as you say with having kids it forces you to switch off which I think is very true because the kids they notice I remember when my youngest one not one of the first six he said but I do remember when he was you know, one or maybe two and he said mummy get off your phone and I was like oh no that's it that's kids kids notice that stuff they notice when you're very present with them and at the same time as you said it gives you it really takes you outside gives you a broader perspective but also having that focus so when you're really at work you're you're managing your time pretty carefully as well which sounds sounds very important yeah no it certainly is good and we talked Rhiannon a bit about some of the tougher times that you've maybe had I wonder as you as you look back what have been some of your proudest career moments well actually I have to admit the latest sort of promotion is something that I've probably been very proud of coming from that sort of part-time background with the kids and the balance there to be considered for and given this opportunity for the for the next year well has been something that I was truly pretty excited about. So that's been very exciting. And that's, I think, an individual moment that I'm very proud of. I think when I was looking back at other things that I'm proud of, almost all the rest of them are team sports. They're transactions that you may have got across the line or projects that you've landed. And that's always always something you do with other people. So yeah, yes, you're proud, but I think you're not individually proud. Something that you have to do with a team. And that, that was a reflection as I look back. There weren't any sort of other individual moments that I could actually pinpoint. Mm. 
And I think, as you mentioned before, careers so much are about the people around you. So it probably makes sense that a lot of those proudest moments are with others. And uh, equally, though, that, as you said, to go from being part-time working mum and to be promoted into the CEO role, there's still not that many female CEOs in New Zealand. So it is a, it is a fantastic achievement. Thank you. Thank you. I am proud. <laughs> good, good. And you should be. And this the, my next question, may not, you may not even be on your radar at the moment, given you're pretty new into this role, but have you had any thoughts about your career and, and where it might head in the future? Yeah, so I've obviously got this one right in front of me, this this role, and it is an acting role. Whether it makes permanent does remain to be seen. Beyond that, I mean, if, if this were to be made permanent and I was here, then that would probably keep me going for quite a little while. I think one of the things I have learned is that you just need to take every opportunity as it comes up. And I, I don't think I've planned the career very precisely. I've just kept going and saying, oh, that looks interesting and maybe that's the next place to go. And try to back myself when those opportunities come up. You read a lot about females not necessarily taking opportunities and being concerned and, and worried about whether they're qualified. And I've I've quite deliberately tried to make sure that if things kind of come my way, that I believe that I deserve them and, and give them my best shot. Mm, and I think that's wonderful advice. I think you're right. A lot of women do have a lot of maybe doubt or do they deserve it or will they be able to handle it? And that might help them back. But instead of flipping that around and going, actually, yep, I'm going to give this one a go and give it my best shot. I like that. And the last question then for you, what career advice would you have for other women? And I think it's, it is that very same thing. And it's, it's take every opportunity. And that's, of course, if you want it. And if you're offered it, tell yourself you deserve it and, and, and go for it. I think other tips would be to be really open-minded about what a career looks like. I think in this day and age, it can go in all sorts of different directions. And I love watching my friends and their careers and the directions they go in and wonder what that means as it as it pertains to me. Like, what could I be doing differently? And I've, I've thought often about going out by myself and, and I watch my friends who do that with one keen interest and great, great respect because I think that takes a lot of guts. But I think the payoff seems to be, seems to work out for all of them in terms of successful sort of businesses where they get to be their own boss, which I think looks pretty um, appealing. I think you should be open-minded. Don't take yourself too seriously. These things are only a job and, and the rest of your life matters just as much, if not more. So there's, a, there's an element that, it, that these things are just a job rather than always having to be a career. And I think then last of all, like just always treat other people with respect. There are so many points of view and that sort of goes all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, Anna, around just learning around how to be with other people and other people's walks of life. The better you get along with others, I think the further you will go. And quite frankly, the more you will, we, you will achieve because you're working together. I think I've spent my whole career learning how little I know, that I'm not always right, and that other, other people's opinions make for a richer answer. And I think, I think that can apply to anything or anyone's career. Mm, I think it definitely can. That's wonderful advice. Thank you. And Rhiannon, it's been such a pleasure to hear about your career and your path, right from not being quite sure what you wanted to do and through working in the city, through coming out to, to New Zealand and making your way through. I think it's been loads of great advice and, and inspiration for others in there. So thank you so much for sharing your story. That's a real pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story.
You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.